you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We are in a series in the Gospel of Mark. And at times we go through books of the Bible where we exegetically go through them uh, line by line. And there are times where we go through topics where we have been in a series, week 13, I think, of the Gospel of Mark. And I got to just be straight with you. This is a weird story. Um, One thing I love about going through books of the Bible is that it kind of forces you to kind of talk about things that you normally wouldn't talk about, you know, like demon-possessed people. So that's where we are this morning. So if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Just read through 13 and kind of stop for a second and pray and talk through what's happening. So Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day around among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, well, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now let's pray one more time because I need God's help. This morning, (laughs) the most awkward place to stop in a verse. God, I thank you, Lord, that um, your word is uh, truly inspired. God breathed for our prophet and for the edification of your people that we we often just think if we listen to this podcast or if we listen to that preacher, if we listen, that we'll get some divine word. God, if we just open up our word, the word, the Bible, you speak to us and you just have. So God, I pray that you would be mighty to save, mighty to set us free this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think this is probably one of those stories that's right up there with the talking donkey that's the most odd story throughout the entire um, Bible. Now, if we kind of just take this and read it in its context, I think it'll make a little bit more sense and that's my hope that I can do this morning. This takes place in a region called Decapolis. Decapolis is a federation of cities that was conquered by the Roman Empire. Decapolis consists of at least 10 areas, 10 regions. 
And whenever the Roman legion would march through the city, and particularly this city, when they marched through Decapolis and throughout the 10 cities within it, they crushed everyone within their path. And they demolished and destroyed people that they could, that were no value to them, right? So like if you were a tax collector, they'd keep you. Um, if you were a, a prostitute, they'd keep you. If you were, had some kind of political, um, political clout with the Roman Empire, you would not be destroyed, but they would also keep you. And the Jews, you got to understand like context in this, the Jews did not like, like there, there was like almost this hatred uh, behind them and the Roman people. They believed that at the root of all evil behind the Roman empire, and this is important, uh, was this dark demonic force driving the Romans. Now, the book of Daniel, if you can, if I could just kind of rewind um, several books before this, the book of Daniel is a very interesting book. Wouldn't recommend reading it to your kids before they go to bed. Uh, beasts, and, and it's very uh, hyper-political in its message and very apocalyptic in its message. And Daniel talks about there are four beasts that are going to rise up out of the sea. Now, side note, because if you remember, I touched on this briefly about what the sea represented, right? They, were, they had just come out of the storm of the sea, and, and they, the sea was this representation of evil, this dark force, right? If you then fast forward to uh, the book of Revelation, John the Revelator uh, talks about how the sea will be no more, and, and, and he's being very literal with his language there because the sea and what it represents, that it's this evil place where boats were captured, where lives were lost. And so there's this, there's this kind of anticipation among the Jews that one day there will not be this tumultuous, torturous sea that we have to deal with anymore. And so that sea for these people represented this wicked, dark place. So um, the beast, then back to the book of Daniel, the beast represents four different empires that are about to um, take place, right? Empires that are about to kind of crush the people. And so this isn't a literal beast. Well, you can, I think these empires, empires were literal beasts, but um, th these beasts, this represented the first one was the Babylonian Empire. They came, they took the Jews into exile. And next up out of the Babylonian Empire, the second beast was the Persian people. And then after the Persians were conquered, then it was Alexander the Great. Some of you are like, oh, I think I remember this from history back in high school. Yeah, or maybe not, okay. And then after Alexander the Great, here we have kind of this um, epitome and the, this last stand of empires, and it's the Roman Empire. It's this final climax of the world order, and there was nothing more that the Jews wanted to see than to see the Roman Empire be pushed back into the sea like the pigs that they viewed them that they were. And so this is our context. They wanted these literal pigs, how they viewed the Romans, to be pushed back into 
the sea. Now, insert Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus just got out the boat. He came from the other side. You know, this big storm uh, comes. And if you remember what the driving force behind that storm, when Jesus says, peace be still or, or be quiet, it's literally in the Greek, the same language that he uses when he tells the demonic man ch- a couple chapters back to, to, to be quiet and leave him alone. So what this tells us is that the storm wasn't necessarily the problem. There was a demonic force behind the storm trying to stop Jesus. So we get this reality that now we're entering into a demonic realm that is trying to stop Jesus from ushering in his kingdom. Jesus steps into this demonic realm or the enemy's territory And he comes about in a way that it shocks this demonic man that Jesus' presence is even there. He is stepping into this reality that some of us don't want to come to grips with, that there is a demonic presence. There is a spiritual reality, one that we cannot see. That is what John talks about in John chapter 12, that there there was a demonic force behind some of these empires. So you have angels, that's, that's the good guys, right? If you, we, we want to be on the side of any of these demonic forces, we want to be on the side of the angels. In fact, the angels are on the side of God, and they are the one who are trying to continue in the ushering of the kingdom of God. And then you have the dark reality that there are demons out there who are anti the light, and they want to carry out the, the domain of darkness. And any time that they are threatened by this, they're going to manifest themselves in a way and in this way that is quite interesting. Now, there's this man here that Jesus confronts and he encounters who, the, who what we just read is like a beast, right? He's like a beast. He's in a graveyard, which I wonder if there's any symbolism to that, right? That maybe there's this obsession with death, and he's, a, he's naked, he's lost his mind, so he's insane, and he is, what the Bible says, he is cutting himself. Now, the man says, what do you want from me? In other words, he's, he's kind of looking at Jesus, and he's saying, like, like, you're not supposed to be here. This is my turf. This is my domain. He's confused. But he identifies Jesus for who Jesus really is, right? It seems like the only people who know who Jesus is so far in the gospel of Mark are the demons. They got the right theology. They understand, whoa, there's something wrong in the cosmos. What is God in flesh doing on my territory? And and side note just real quick, because I have to say this. Um, This is not a struggle with Jesus versus a legion of demons, all right? So so kind of, right, if if you've been taught that there's this heavenly fight that that they're warring and Jesus is constantly fighting the devil and and they're always in the heavens, like fighting with their swords and going, like, okay, that's, that's so far from the truth. Uh, please hear me. You don't fight battles with God. And if you do, guess what? You lose. There, God never struggles. You hear that? 
God never struggles in a fight. Well, what, are your, what about the cross of Christ? Well, wasn't that a struggle? Well, Isaiah 53.10 says that it was the Lord's will that crushed him. He's not fighting some demonic cosmic. Satan got the upper hand. No, he's doing that to, to redeem the world from the weight and depravity of sin. So, so if you believe that there's this, kind of like Hollywood wants you to think, that there's this cosmic fighting going on and there's all these swords clinging and, and all this weird stuff, it's, it's, it's false narrative. And it's one that we reject here. Christ is the conquering king. You do not get an upper hand with him in any fight or any battle. And, and it was the work of the cross that conquered Satan. That bound Satan up. Now that was free 99. You can take it or leave it, whatever. Now, now here's where this interesting and weird part begins. Jesus tells the man to leave, and then he begins to have a conversation with him. He said, what's your name, right? Like, what is your name? And the guy responds, or, or the demons inside of him respond with it. Well, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, here's what a legion is, and here's why this is so interesting. A legion was the largest Roman military unit with up to six thousand soldiers known for their brutality and this man this one single guy is possessed with thousands of demons and notice the conversation Jesus has with these demons the demons they begged him not to leave the area isn't that odd why would a demon say, please don't let us leave this area? Now, there is some thought behind this that, that there are supernatural forces, like demonic forces, that are kind of, I don't want to say a sign, but maybe like they, they kind of take their dwelling up over a certain area. Now, I know that sounds completely bizarre. Does it not? But, but hang with me. Here, here's how I, I, I think I lean towards that as truth. Um, I've been to Haiti before. There is a dark, demonic presence that immediately you step out of the airplane, you feel the oppressive weight. You, you, can, you can go into certain places, and have you ever thought going into a place like, eh, something is weird here? It, maybe there is a demonic presence. Now, I'm not, I'm not here telling you that there's a demon behind every bush. All right? I, am, I lean so far away from that. Like, if that's you, like, you, you probably need to come on back down to the center of the aisle. I'm not saying there's a demon, but I am saying that there are certain places you can walk into and you can feel this. And maybe perhaps that's why these demons are saying, please don't let us leave this region. And then there's like some pork and bacon down the hill there. And so, and, and so you already, your stomach started growling when I said that, right? Like, and so they're like, they're like so what about, what about the pigs, right? It's almost like these, these demonic spirits are in need of some type of host agent. I know that sounds like completely weird, but it's like they need like some kind of host so that um, they can thrive in some way. And so they, then the herd of about 2,000, as soon as they enter into the demons, this herd of, and this is a large amount of pigs, okay? And could you imagine the smell of this place? 
2,000, and maybe it's because these, these pigs don't know how to handle a demonic force, and so they go crazy and kamikaze style down into the sea, and the pigs are driven back into the sea. Now, isn't it interesting? That's not where they wanted to go. They wanted to stay in their region. The irony of it is, is that this demonic presence eventually landed back where it belonged. All right, let's pick it up in verse 14 because it's going to get very, very interesting. You guys still there? Demonic forces. It's not even Halloween. The herdsmen, verse 14, fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what was that happened. And, and, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there. And he has clothed, and he is in his right mind, and they were afraid. That's a huge understatement. And those who had seen it described to them that had happened, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, but the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Now, this is a complex story, and there are three types of people that Jesus interacts with that I want to kind of tease apart. The first one is the, the legion. The second one is the people in the town. And then the third one is the man that was set free. And let's, let's look at this story with Jesus and the legion a little bit more and dive into this. story makes sense when reading it in its complete context. Many theologians and historians would think that this is political satire. Um, pigs in Mark's day were symbolic. Think of the t- in terms of today, like when you uh, think that a man is a dirtbag, he's a what? A pig. Oh, come on, y'all. Get cultured in life, right? Um, to the Jews, pigs were, in, in the same sense, nauseating and were a sim- symbolism of paganistic ideas. Uh, Rome was a nation of um, figurative pigs, and they even adopted this image of a pig with pride. In fact, soldiers used the em- had an emblem, and on its emblem was a wild Bore. And so this story, if you read it through the lens of context, is a story about political satire. It's a story laced with military language. The word herd wasn't actually used for pigs. In fact, the word herd was used as a band of new recruits for the army. Uh, when Jesus said, go into them, that was, uh, that was also a sexually explicit slang term with ties how the Romans would come into the streets and they would rape all of the women and ravage through the towns. 
When Jesus used the word, he gave them permission. This is the same use of military terms that a military leader would give permission for his soldiers to do something. And then you see the word rushed there. It's another word that maybe uh, your translation has as that they charged. What, what military language would use is they would charge after the enemy. This story is laced with a lot of Roman military style imagery. What is Mark doing? What is he saying here? Think of the man that's possessed. On the surface, he's bananas. He's lost his mind. The real problem isn't that the man is crazy. The real problem Jesus identifies is that the man has an unclean spirit. The unclean spirit is the problem. Like Think back to the story just behind this. The storm wasn't the problem. It was that it was being driven by an evil spirit. That was the problem. So, so you, you have this um, interesting parallel with demon possession and the Roman Empire. It's like Mark is saying, the problem isn't this man. The problem is the evil spirit. And what most theologians would believe is that when Paul or when Mark is writing the story, who is he writing it to? Where, where are the Jews at? Where, where are the Christians at? They're in Rome. Where, and, and who, you've you got to think back a long time, like who was the ruler of Rome? Nero. A Hitler-like figure. So, so Mark is kind of lacing in this language to kind of not start a physical insurrection with the Christians, but he's trying to convey to them that there is a spiritual insurrection that we must be made aware of. That the problem isn't the Romans, the problem is the demonic dark force that is driving the Romans. It would be akin to me of saying that the problem is not the political leaders in Washington, D.C., although some of them are a problem, but the problem is the demonic force that is driving their wicked agenda. Think about every genocide you have heard of. Think about all of the atrocities from communist countries, from totalitarianism countries, and from all of these different types of wicked regimes that have swept over the world just in the past couple hundred years. What was the driving force behind that? I would suggest that it was a demonic force trying to stamp out the kingdom work that was being done in these countries. Can't you see it right now in China? You, you see dictators over in China trying to stamp out the Christian church. That's not because he's a turd, although he is. It's because he has a demonic force driving him. Look at the country of Iran right now. Christians being persecuted for their faith. That's not because he's just a, a bad guy. There is a demonic force driving that agenda. It is trying to stamp out 
the church. Mark here in his gospel to his listeners, to this church that is gathered in Rome is trying to convey a message to them. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the principalities and the domains of darkness, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. The enemy is not the person. The enemy is the demonic force driving the person. And the person ought to be fought for. So, so, so we fight for the demon-possessed guy? Yeah. We fight for those who don't, we don't agree with in politics and, 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 and in Washington? Yeah. Because ultimately, in the spiritual realm of all of this, they're not the problem. The demonic force driving them is the problem. So we fight for the person and we fight against the demonic oppression. And don't think we're too far from it here in America. I mean, it's already here. A demonic force driving an agenda that wants to crush out the Imago Dei. It's here. We don't fight the person. We fight against the spiritual darkness of it. Everybody okay? I'm going to breathe after that. I need some water. Now let's look at the Jesus, the Jesus. Let's look at Jesus and the people, all right? So it's going to get even a little bit uh, more heated in here. Now, there, this is an understatement. There's a dramatic loss to the economy, all right? It's not one pig, right? It's not Porky Pig that just lost his life. It's Porky. It's Miss I mean, it's like the whole gang, like 2,000 pigs, got ticked off and went all kamikaze style right into the sea. And the people, and, and this probably reveals their heart a little bit, they're ticked off because Jesus just kind of upset their economic system in the area. And instead of them being happy that the dude is now free, they're ticked off at Jesus because he just messed with their wallets. I know what you're thinking. Don't you dare talk about money, preacher. Well, I am. Jesus will mess with your economic system. The moment that you say, Jesus, you can't have my money, my possessions, my values, Jesus will break open your hands because he does not share a throne with anyone. Because he's either Lord over every single aspect of your life or he is not Lord at all. There is no middle ground when it comes to the Lordship of Christ our Savior in your life. And these, okay, let's call these people the loonies. Right? Because instead of the guy who is supposedly being the crazy guy, the people end up being the crazy ones. Instead of them celebrating freedom from this guy, I mean, do you remember how oppressed he was? He's cutting himself, he's screaming, he's groaning. In fact, no chains can keep him down. This bro is so strong, he's breaking the chains. All right? Now, I know some of you are strong, but you ain't that strong. 
Like this guy has chains and like these chains ain't nothing. And we know that this is a demonic presence inside of him. And instead of them rejoicing and celebrating that this guy's found freedom, they're more upset that Jesus kind of flipped over their economic system in the area. What, what, what would happen if Jesus did that to you? Like, would you just like get so upset? Jesus, how dare you do this to me? You don't know who you're messing with. Instead of just celebrating the freedom that he's given you. And so that's, that's the people. Now let's talk about Jesus and the man. Now this man was set free and fully restored. Listen, there are people here in Cedar City. There are people maybe that you know personally who are bound by addictions, who are bound by depression and bound by these other things. I'm not equating them to being possessed by demons. That's not the case all of the time, but it could be the case some of the time. But I am suggesting that every single one of these people need to experience the freedom found only in Christ Jesus. Jesus can set them free. And hey, look, if you maybe your home feels like a wreck. Maybe you feel like you, you walk in your home and it's a graveyard. Listen, Jesus can come from the other side of the lake and meet you right in your territory and set your home free. Now, what about, what about the man who has been free? Like, like this, encounter is, this encounter is so weird. Uh, Jesus says to the guy, all right, now here's what I want you to do. I know you want to go with me, but you've got to go back to your people. I, I love that. It's almost like it, it kind of feels like this guy may be the first called missionary in, in the New Testament. All right? Um, now, we want to go like this guy, and it, it, this may be stretching a little bit, but I want you to follow this for a second. Sometimes we want to be like um, this guy and just go out of our home and share with Jesus somebody, you know, in some other land that you'll never see them again, right? Like we want to be Johnny Be Bad for Jesus out in um, Haiti or out somewhere that's third world country, go there for 10 days, come back, feel like we have done our job, we don't have to witness and share uh, about Jesus anymore. Like we're done. Like I met my quota because I went to this third world place and told somebody about Jesus and I did my good deeds, I am done, Notice what Jesus does. Okay? So, so watch this. Like, who did he say yes to? Because this is almost offensive. He says yes to the demon possessed, like the demonic people. He told the demonic spirits, yes, you can go in the herd. He even told the people who were asking him to leave, what did he say to them? Okay, I'll leave. But then he tells this man, no. Why? Because Jesus had bigger plans for this guy. It's easier for us to go out to another country and spend 10 days there. I'm not knocking that, but it is much harder for us to be a witness to our neighbor. Isn't it? It's much more difficult to be a witness to the people we see every day in our job, to the people we see in the gym, to the people we encounter in the grocery store, to the people we encounter at the coffee place. It's harder to be Jesus to them. Who are those people 
that Jesus has told you, I have set you in Cedar City for a reason. I have placed you in your home for a reason. Who is that neighbor that Jesus is calling you to be a light? And don't you dare say, well, I don't know my Bible well enough. What do you, do you, do you think that, we don't know his name, we'll, we'll call him um, Ted. You think Ted was like, Jesus, I'm glad you're calling me back to, you're, you're saying I'm not going with you, fine, I'm a little disgruntled about that, but now I've got to go back, but I don't know my doctrines. I don't, I, don't, I don't know my doctrine of salvation. I don't know the Torah. I can't recite. I can't quote this, G. You think this guy was saying, this guy heard Jesus' command and he, and he went. And don't, don't think that you can say that excuse. Well, I don't know my Bible enough. This guy didn't know anything. He just encountered Jesus Christ. Well, well, I'm not comfortable with that. You think this guy was comfortable with it? Like, like the stigma this guy has in the community, I promise you, you don't have in Cedar City. People don't look at you and go, oh, there's that girl that was demonically oppressed and sat on the mountaintop the whole day, cutting herself and screaming at everybody to walk by. No, but this guy did. You think, was, you think he cared about his reputation? Jesus said, go, and he went. Who are the people that Jesus is calling you to? Now, here's where the story gets incredibly, incredibly interesting. Not only is this a hit on, on the demonic oppression that's driving the Roman Empire, I want you to see what happens with this one man who was bound by thousands of demons in Decapolis. In just a couple of chapters, in Mark chapter 7, we're going to come back to the town of Decapolis. And you know what's happening in Decapolis? There is a mighty move of God taking place where thousands of people are coming to hear the message of Jesus, where people are being set free, where people are being healed. What happened between trip number one and trip number two? Trip number one, they wanted Jesus completely out. Trip number two, they're welcoming Jesus in and they're hungry for his message. What happened? Could it be that the man who used to be demonically oppressed and possessed encountered the living God and did exactly what Jesus said took the message of freedom and redemption to Decapolis and because one person obeyed God now the town was flipped upside down don't you ever discredit the story that God has given you you, know, and you hear like, well, my testimony's really lame. Like I grew up in church. I didn't, you know, I didn't really do anything bad. My, your testimony is probably the most powerful testimony. What is the story that God has given you that you can go out and use to be a witness and drive out the domain of darkness and push in the light of Christ? One man Perhaps one man changed Decapolis, a region of 10 cities, with a message about a man who encountered me 
in my possession and in the darkest moment of life and he gave me freedom. Who are those people that are around you that are just waiting for you just to be obedient to Christ's call on all of us to go and herald the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to push out the domain of darkness with the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. 